Welcome to the Axial Podcast. Axial is an early-stage investment firm based in San Francisco. We partner with great founders and inventors investing in early-stage life science companies often when they are no more than an idea. Axial is fanatical about helping the rare inventor who is compelled to build their own enduring business. Okay, we're recording, Keisuke. So okay. I'm really excited to have this conversation today just to tell your story uh, and, and really learn more about your research. Uh, mm-hmm. It was great to meet up in Berkeley last week and take mm-hmm. a nice walk uh i think it's been 10 years since you were back in berkeley yeah but uh, i think it's a really exciting conversation about your journey from, as a physicist to a biologist mm-hmm. and your really incredible research around image activated cell sorting but maybe to start off this like podcast and conversation you can just like briefly introduce yourself wherever you want to start okay i can uh introduce myself probably i don't know Back to my uh, childhood. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. So my name is Keisuke Goda, and I was born and raised in, in Japan. Actually, uh, I came from Sapporo, where the uh, beer and sushi are the best. And then uh, I went to high school in Japan, and then came to the U.S. And I spent 15 years in total for um, for my undergraduate education, graduate education, and postdoc research. And so, sort of a junior research scientist work as well, and then uh, return uh, to Japan. So I spent uh, my undergraduate years at UC Berkeley in physics. I was doing uh, neutrino uh, detection research, and then I moved to MIT for my PhD work, where um, I, I I was working on the uh, development of a LIGO detectors. LIGO stands for laser interferometer gravitation wave observatory for for the purpose of detecting gravitation waves from black holes or neutron stars um, and that received the uh, physics nobel prize in uh, two, uh, 2017 uh, my former boss Rainier weiss uh, received the nobel prize um, and in ligo i was engaged in the instrumentation so basically the ligo is it's a pure machinery of precision measurement. So I was working on the, uh, the development of precision measurement uh, sensor or detector. And then after I left LIGO, um, I joined UCLA as a postdoc, where um, I was uh, doing a high-speed imaging and spectroscopy, and also combined the high-speed imaging and spectroscopy with microfluidics for biomedical applications and still based on uh, precision measurement uh, instrumentation. And then uh, that's uh, when I sort of came up with a nice um, uh, direction of combining high-speed imaging and, and microfluidics because there's a great synergy between these two. Their the timescales are quite similar for uh, you know, high-throughput uh, image-based analysis. And then, uh, in 2012, I, I joined the uh, University of Tokyo as a professor and started my own group. And then I worked on uh, uh, interdisciplinary research based on microfluidics, photonics, uh, nanotechnology, computational analytics, and so on and so forth. And then I got some large grant from the Japanese government to start uh, the development of image activated cell sorting technology. And then I sort of uh, you know, uh, it combined my uh, expertise with other people's expertise 
uh, to demonstrate image activity cell sorting. So that was uh, published in 2018 in cell. And then since then, we uh, continue to exploit a new application based on that technology. Awesome. Yeah, you're definitely so. What brings you such a compelling inventor is you, the last decade, you, you know, led the field of image based cell sorting. Yeah. And, you know, created like the standard, the, the best device, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of, there's also a group in Embel in Stanford, LA. I think you probably mm -hmm. know that group as well. I like them as well. Uh, a guy named Daniel, he's good. But, you yeah. know, your group and your research and you, the consortium you built out too is mm -hmm. definitely setting the standard in image based cell sorting. But maybe the back and all up, we can talk about, you know, being a physicist to a biologist. And mm -hmm. there's a long history of physicists going to biology, right? Yep. Uh, Luria, Schrodinger, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, and so how was that transition? You're at MIT in grad school studying mm -hmm. on the LIGO project. Mm -hmm. What made you want to do a postdoc in biology? All right, like, what was the big, it was a big leap of faith. What was the logic there? Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I was, I have been interested in both biology and physics. And back at MIT, yeah, uh, I was working on LIGO, but at the same time, I collaborated with some researchers in the other, uh, other labs in the, in the physics department, also, uh, Professor Michael Flo, uh, do, uh doing uh, Raman uh, uh, analysis, Raman um, uh, cytometry, uh, use, uh, using uh, like a, uh, intensive lasers for analyzing uh, uh, label, uh, uh, analyzing cells and molecules in a label-free manner. So I sort of, sort of uh, uh, brought the great uh, tradition of LIGO technology to to the field of uh, cytometry, and then I collaborated. And then after you know, then that the, after sort of finishing my PhD at MIT, sort of the detector LIGO detectors were kind of complete. So kind of ready for uh, detecting gravitational waves. So I, I felt that there, was, uh, there wasn't much to do left for me, at least, at least from the point of view of the instrumentation. So, uh, and then, uh, you know, at the time, actually, I was at Caltech because the, this LIGO project was a, a huge collaboration between MIT and Caltech. So I spent the last year and a half uh, at Caltech as a MIT, graduate students. And then it was kind of natural for me to move to UCLA because that, you know, both UCLA and Caltech are in LA. Um, and LA, UCLA is quite strong in interdisciplinary research between uh, biology and, and physics. So I joined uh, uh, Balam Jalali's group yeah. at UCLA and, and also collaborate with uh, Dino Di Carlo uh, who is uh, an expert in microfluidics? So we, so you know, we came up with great ideas and demonstrated them. Well, yeah, I think I grew up in I grew up in California, so I'm sure you loved living in LA. Uh, yeah. Traffic stinks, but but the weather was fantastic. Yeah, um, and then um, yeah, I think you said Jalali is the expert. Like I think is he the chairman of bioengineering at UCLA now or something like that? Yeah, I think he retired. Yeah, oh, he retired. Oh, yeah. And then Dino DiCarlo is also very, very uh, yeah. fascinating and, and just like the best at what he does as well. Uh, great. And so then, okay, you go UCLA and then he moved to Tokyo as, to become a professor. Mm -hmm. um, that's also very interesting, right? Like mm -hmm. I had I have a good friend, Shinya, and he mm -hmm. was in Japan and he went to college in America. 
Okay. Very rare thing to do. Uh, mm. Like very rare. So it's very rare for you to go to Berkeley in Japan originally. What yeah. made you want to go back to Tokyo? Was it family? Was it, you know, something else? But like to go spend 15 years in America, Yeah. you know, to go back home, was it something you've always wanted to do or is it something that kind of came up along the way? Well, sort of, I was interested in doing different things yeah. that, you know, sort of uh, compete with other people. So, uh, you know, after spending 15 years in the U.S., I kind of wanted a change. Cool. So I, you know, I came from Japan, so, you know, I kind of, I felt that uh, maybe I, I lost some connection with Japan, so maybe I, it's, it's time to re regain the connection. So I went back to Japan. Cool. I and, love it, yeah. I mean, you've run such a big group. Like, you, like you told me 53 people in your group. That's amazing. That's like, right, yeah. A lot of people. Okay, so, okay, you're in the University of Tokyo, mm -hmm. 2012. Um, how did you, I'm always fascinated, for, especially for professors, like establishing your laboratory. Mm -hmm. you know, your laboratory is an amalgamation of different people, engineers, biologists. How did you set the vision of the lab? And then how did you like manage such a diverse set of people because that definitely is a challenge for a lot of new labs, you know, especially to try to like bring different fields together, getting different expertise, and then you know setting the basis of the uh, of the lab. And was the was the and then yeah uh, that and then was the lab always focused on like image activated cell sorting, or did that come up over time? Uh, well, I was interested in combining different. Uh fields or different areas of research or different methods, different uh, expertise. And image activated set of sorting is one of them. And of course, you know, we, you know, my group has 53 people, but it's not like all the 53 people are working on image activated set of sorting. Actually, about 10 people are working on it. And, and then the other 43 people are working on different projects. And there are lots of projects because uh, out of 53 people, about 40, people are students and each student has his or her own project so there are lots of many research projects ongoing and within like a several research programs and i have been interested in interdisciplinary research always and I, currently i'm in the chemistry department you know chemistry is sort of the interface between uh, uh, physics and, and and biology so it's, it's actually the right um, place to do interdisciplinary research and and students here are in normally talented and they're willing to learn new things and then also exploit the new uh, ex uh applications based on new technologies so it, it's it's great and also i have adjunct positions at ucla and Wuhan university so you know i i do some student exchange in, uh, in my own research group, but with uh, different countries. So that's quite uh, advantageous. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, you definitely have, maybe you show me pictures of your lab and kind of the, the, the sorter you have, and it's like such a complicated machine, and you have all these different like experts. One thing uh, you kind of, your research for an image activated cell sorting really relies on machine learning yeah. and, and then also on engineering and then biology. Mm -hmm. You know, how did you, at least initially when you set the lab up, how did you get those people to join your lab? Like, what was the, like, how did you get non-biologists excited about biology? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, how did you, that's something that's a, a challenge for, I think, everybody in the field, is how do you get people who are experts in AI 
yeah. to go into biology and you've had success on the academic side with your research. So um, what was the, like, how did, what, any, any tactics, any shortcuts or any tricks you've had? <laughs> yeah. you know, Students are good. Students are fast learners. So they, they are really willing to learn new materials very quickly. I'm, a, I'm an older person already, but uh, I'm not good at learning new things anymore. <laughs> but the students are pretty young, like eight, 18, 19, 20s. Yeah. So quite good. And I encourage them to uh, explore new things based on new you know, expertise and new knowledge. So that, that's what I do. And of course, not everyone is good at, say, machine learning or biology, but we work in a team, you know, like, uh, so interdisciplinary team. So one person is good at, uh, you know, computational things. Another student is good at, you know, uh, cell biology. Another student is good at photonics or instrumentation. And then we combine their ideas and methods to do something quite innovative. So not, not so I, I should say that not everyone is good at doing everything altogether. This one we we work in a team. Yeah, you have to set the culture and you know the vision properly. It's a I mean I'm sure you're really busy. So I, I know you are really busy. So maybe we can transition towards image activated cell sorting and the history of it. You know you have yeah. various publications over the last decade in the field. You've really set the standard. Um, Maybe you can talk about maybe starting UCLA when we get Tokyo. Mm -hmm. What was the initial basis of the project? What was the kind of germ of the idea? Like, what was like the the, the initial premise uh, for that technology? Yeah, sure. Well, before long before image activated cell sorting, there was facts fluorescence activated cell sorting uh, developed by uh, Professor Hattenberg at Stanford University. Yeah. Uh, so that fluorescence-based uh, uh, sorting does not have spatial metrics. So it, it's not possible to uh, identify and sort cells based on spatial phenotype. Right? So that's uh, one of the, the major downsides of fact. And I was thinking like how to incorporate imaging capability or microscopy into facts so that we can Isolate. We can identify and isolate spatially, spatially unique cells from a large heterogeneous population of cells. Um, so that was, I don't know, like uh, probably around the 2007 to 2009, something like that. And yeah, I, at UCLA, so I thought about it when I was doing uh, high-speed imaging. And you know, uh, high-speed imaging, as I said, has a great Synergy with microfluidics because their time scales are quite similar. So I was combining them, and then uh, I, I thought, then I learned facts, and then oh maybe it's a good idea to do sorting, uh, based on uh, imaging, so that we could, you know, sort cells that nobody has sorted before. So it's a great idea. So then, then later on I realized that oh that requires real time. Uh, computational analytics because I did identification and sorting need to be done nearly simultaneously. So that requires a lot of computational uh, methods such as deep learning and you know like high speed signal processing and image processing and so on and so forth. So and then so I learned a lot of uh, basics about you know uh, FPGA, CPU and GPU 
and in the, in the electrical engineering department at UCLA. And then, uh, then after a few years, you know, I came up with uh, like a blueprint of the, the technology. And then, and I gather, you know, forces from uh, people to demonstrate it. So that's what happened. Okay, this is like 10, 15 years ago. And yeah. like neural networks were very rudimentary, uh, especially the, like the packages. Mm-hmm. And then data processing was so expensive. Yeah. And so, you know, <laughs> so you said this blueprint, like 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. What were the challenges? Like, you know what I mean? You had this idea, and it, you know, yeah. What were the challenges to like, even get it to work initially? <laughs> like, so the main challenge was uh, interdisciplinarity, basically, combining the different uh, methods and different techniques from uh, different disciplines. So that's quite challenging, not just technically, but also culturally, because people in different fields speak the different languages. So I, I needed to understand what they're talking about and and then also trying to combine those those uh, people from different disciplines yeah, so that they can work together in a collaborative manner. Awesome. And so like, you know, I, I remember TensorFlow, this machine learning package, was open sourced in like 2015 of September. Yeah. And in my opinion, that led to a massive like set of a lot of progress, mm-hmm. at least on the you know machine learning side. It allowed people to like make models pretty efficiently. Um, what, what was the breakthrough as you made this project? Like, what, what what were the years that you made a lot of progress? And what enabled that progress? Was it you know better models? Was it cheaper data processing? Was it you know some microfluidic chip got you know more accessible? But between two thousand and seven to nine to present day, you know you think about the journey of image activated cell sorting. Mm. What were the key moments that made it like possible? I think the key moment was like I, I recruited the right people, yeah. so the right people who know how to do it, how, how to demonstrate it, how to sort of implement the, the blueprint into the real machine. Cool. Right? So, so I led an uh, interdisciplinary team of about 50 people. And uh, so they worked quite well. And um, so, you know, I, I, was a, I was a leader of the interdisciplinary. So I, I was not actually doing the experiment. I, I, didn't, I didn't do the optical alignment and coding and anything basically i i told them to collaborate with each other and kept and and also to come up with uh, solutions to realize that image accuracy so, so that's that's what it cool. is cool okay i did not know that i'm learning something new so keisuke is just an expert leader you really were able to get people together inspire them and find talented people and then get them to work together yeah okay that makes a lot of sense I, but i would imagine like you know easier AI model last five years has made it pretty, yeah. you know, uh, lower the barriers for people to, you know, because we talk more about image activated cell sorting, but like you alluded to, mm-hmm. is that lag between ID and sorting. And, you know, if you ID something and need to like send it to some processor and data center, yeah. know, it's too late. And so you think of a catch that cell and sort it like, you know, in like really, really short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe we can talk about current state of the art of image activated cell sorting. 
you know, uh, you know, in your laboratory, maybe other labs, you know, what's the kind of the cutting edge of sorting cells by image? You know, what kind of cells can we sort? How many cells can we sort per second? What's the lag time so far? I think it must be in like milliseconds or like maybe even smaller than that. Yeah. Um, maybe you can talk about like kind of what's the, what's the cutting edge today of image-based cell sorting? Okay, the current, uh, uh, say the throughput, the best throughput or event rate is about a couple thousand cells per second. Uh, so to demonstrate it, we need high-speed signal processing, of course, for real-time you know, image acquisition, uh, image construction, image analysis, with and without uh, convolutional neural network, and also uh, a decision-making to activate the cell disorder. So that's needed, and that has to be done within you know, millisecond or maybe 10, on the order of 10 milliseconds or so. Um, because cells cell keep flowing continuously in the microfluidic uh, channel. So we need to uh, sort the right cell at the right timing. Um, that, that's, that's a key. Um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I think also just like, you know, then it becomes the complication of the, the flow rate of the cells, mm -hmm. trying to ensure it's like, you know, consistent flow. You know, mm -hmm. the image certain blocks yeah. of the flow. So it's a lot of moving parts to the um, you know, everybody showed me some pictures of your, your the device. Um it it kind of looks like a Rube Goldberg machine. Like one yeah. of these complicated things, there's a little thing there, and it's all yeah. these different pieces to just make it all work. Mm -hmm. um, what do you see as the key drivers for growth? Uh like to increase throughput, um, to increase, you know, lower error rates. Like, is it better devices or is it things is it better modeling is it better like neural networks uh, better yeah better neural network of course but the thing is that so this technology is based on you know image processing or image acquisition and luckily you know we live in the era of smartphone technology the smartphone technology is a great uh, technology driver so you know image image sensor you know image uh, Analytics and all technology is, is evolving quite rapidly, and all we do is to sort of exploit and 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 also bring the the new technology, the, the latest technology from the industry to scientific problems. Cool, yeah. cool. And so, like, if you had to make like a like five years from now. Do you, do you see throughput getting to tens of thousands cells per second, hundred thousand cells per second? I think facts can do how much is it tens of thousands facts or yeah yeah like, tens of thousands yeah yeah do you see uh, image based cell sorting reaching facts parity next five years or so or maybe it takes a little longer than that? Mm -hmm. So the in facts and also in image accuracy sorting, there's always a trade off between yeah. throughput, purity, and yield. And was easily sort of satisfied. So, depending on the application, sometimes we need higher throughput uh, for you know identifying and, and sorting extremely rare cells yeah. or purity. Some some people want higher purity, like uh, like stem cell applications. They want they don't want like disease cells or cancerous cells or like uh, undifferentiated. Uh, stem cells um, 
before injection back into the human body. So the high purity is needed. And yeah, so depending on the application. So we, after the demonstration of the image acquisition cell, so that we kind of stopped improving the specifications of the machine. And then instead we sort of focus our efforts on onto the application development. And we collaborated with many biologists and medical researchers to develop new applications to actually increase the value of the technology. A great transition. I think we, now we kind of set the basis of what image activated cell sorting is. We yeah. can talk about applications of it because it sure. definitely is like a new tool. And I think next five to 10 years, we're going to find more and more use cases for it. Uh, sure. Maybe we can talk at a high level. You know, my opinion, I think we talked about this, I think the highest impact place to work on is cell therapies, but there's mm -hmm. also other areas, but maybe you can set set the, at least the initial tone. Like what kind of, what do you see the main applications of image activated cell sorting? So there are many potential applications. Uh, I can tell you a few. Yeah. Uh, of course, one of them is uh, cell therapy. And uh, for example, in my group, we do a T cell sorting, T cell uh, identification and sorting based on immunological synapse. Immunological synapse is a kind of uh, a biomarker of uh, uh, the immune ability, immune response uh, to pathogens. So that immunological synapse gets uh, localized uh, uh, in the T cell and we identify it by image activated cells. So to, to identify the cell, uh, T cells have higher ability of uh, immune response. Yeah, so that's what we do. So that, that's, that's good for high throughput screening before uh, injection uh, back into the human body in, in uh, you know, CAR-T uh, cell therapy and uh, many, uh, you know, like, uh, 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 with, uh, uh, like induced pluripotent stem cell therapy and so on so forth, yeah. So that's one of them. Another application is um, yeast. Uh, yeast-based uh, analysis and yeast is it's, it's a good you know species and, and model organism for uh, uh, microbiology research and as well as uh, in food food science you know yeast is good for you know developing uh, you know wine sake beer uh, bread and and miso and uh, soy sauce and stuff and there's a, a great uh, correlation between the morphology of yeast cells and the taste of these uh, uh, drinks and also the food as well. So you but maybe show me a cool picture of yeast and sake and the yeast in like beer. And yeah. actually, you can see the pictures of the yeast and it definitely is like pretty significant morphological differences. Yeah. So something I didn't even know about or it's pretty pretty cool. Oh. Yeah. But so far it, it has been quite difficult to isolate yeast cells with particular uh, morphological traits, yeah. right? So now we use this image activated cell so to isolate those cells. That means we can control the taste yeah. of the, the wine or the food. So that, that's that, that has not been possible in the past. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you also, is there applications in cyanobacteria if I remember correctly, and then uh, some stuff in like diagnostics as well. Um, but what's kind of been the, and then, Maybe we can talk about potential applications. Mm -hmm. Like any progress, I, I know you lead and you help organize in uh, a massive consortium around the world of 
I think 20 laboratories at least, probably mm -hmm. more. Um, so. Maybe you could talk about that consortium and you know how it was like to set it up and what they do, what they're doing now, and yeah. Sure. Yeah. So after the publication of that paper in Cell in 2018, many people got interested and they sent me emails about the potential collaboration, and then we welcomed that collaboration ideas, and then we started the collaboration, and then because many you know ideas came, so we started this uh, um, sort of open innovation platform uh, for you know collaborating with these people and that was like around the later 2018 and then unfortunately the COVID-19 came and then uh, we kind of had to stop and then uh, we you know people couldn't come from overseas so we had to do the experiments on our own that you know based on their suggestions and advice and also they sent the uh, cells and stuff and we, we of course the kind of what we could do was kind of limited but still we kind of managed to do some experiments and then um, you know now that the pandemic is pretty much done so we are resuming that the open innovation platform so more people are coming to my lab to do collaborative research cool that's really exciting i think there's uh you know in particular, i think there's some cool cool use cases of profiling t-cell exhaustion yeah, and find new markets for it. And I, you know, I think, like I said, I think Krista McCall at Stanford, she does mm -hmm. like best research. I think there's probably a collaboration between you two if, if, if that align. But maybe we sure. can talk beyond image activated cell sorting. Sure. So you know, you think you, you, your lab is moving, like you said, you have majority of your laboratory working on some other things. Sure. So maybe we can discuss what those things are. Sure. And what the future looks like for the go to lab. I think at a high level, you, you're trying to merge, your research has been trying to merge different tools together. And mm -hmm. so maybe for the, you know, maybe for the first 10 to 15 years, you've been merging microscopy with single cell. Mm -hmm. um, and you developed all these tools to do that. And then you have sequencing too. So you know, in the next 10 years, it seems like you're trying to merge microscopy, single cell, and sequencing. Right. And so, um, you know, kind of, any plans there? What's any projects ongoing? Any kind of things you can talk about? Uh, and we could, we can always do an update conversation down the line, and we can sure. say, hey, how's the, how are they going? But you kind of you're trying to merge this trinity of, of biological phenomena or something into sure. one. Yeah. So, in my opinion, the biology is sort of split into three domains: uh, flow cytometry at the population level, microscopy at the cell level, and sequencing at the gene level. And people talk about biology using three different languages. So I was interested in sort of unifying different domains of biology so that we could have a, a better understanding of biology, you know, especially and temporarily. Uh, so image activated cell sorting is, is in a way, uh, it's, a, it's a machine that integrates the flow cytometry uh, for the, you know, uh, uh, statistical level analysis of cells and and microscopy for for the single cell analysis so so i sort of unify these two and eventually i'm interested in combining all those three domains of biology by incorporating the final stage the sequencing so that we we could uh, have a bigger picture of biology by combining prosthetometry microscopy and sequencing and 
And because these things, these domains work uh, on, on the different scales of time and space, I think human brains are not so good at sort of understanding them simultaneously or like in a comprehensive manner. So maybe then, you know, AI or, you know, computation techniques uh, can be quite helpful for sort of uh, interpreting the, the information from the different domains. Cool. And so, like, what do you see the main challenges in terms of like, you know, having an ability to identify a cell and sort it? Like, and then to sequence it, you need to be able to, I mean, you probably already sequence cells right now, you get, it's not like mm -hmm. that hard. But like, when you, when you say sequencing data, is it just as simple as sorting a certain cell type and sequencing it, or is there something more special to it? Is it like trying to capture spatial information, you know, doing spatial se uh, kind of sequencing, or, you know, when you really say sequencing, what do you mean? Is it sequencing proteins, or, you know what I mean? Is it, is it capturing the 3D genome, like high c Mm -hmm. you know, when we really see sequencing, what, what are the challenges in terms of like what your real vision is beyond just like simply sequencing the genome itself, which sure. I think you do now. Yeah, sequencing itself is not too difficult and also it has been evolving quite rapidly by you know, other people. Uh, so my, my job is to integrate the image activities sort of, and, and sequencing machine. So that's kind of challenging, uh, technically challenging, because we need, I mean, sorted cells are kind of fragile. We need, and also they're contained in a microfluidic uh, chip. So I need to make sure that I transport those sorted cells to the sequencing machine without losing any cells. Yeah, so because the loss of any cells will lead to like uh, misinformation and you know, misguided uh, uh, signal acquisition. So uh, that's uh, that's kind of it could be a minor thing, but technically challenging. And when you see when you think about the impact of like be able to image a cell, um, be able to capture it, and then be able to sequence it. What, what do you think is that? What kind of what do you think if you invent if you create that tool? What do you think kind of new discoveries could be made? Um, there's already been research using image accurate cell sorting to yeah you know, discover new genes involved in some sort of cancer pathway or growth pathway. But if you can merge microscopy, cytometry, and sequencing together, you know, what kind of new, new areas of biology could be probed potentially? My honest answer is I don't know, because yeah. we explore new sort of unexplored areas. So I, what I do is data-driven research, not hypothesis-driven research. So mm -hmm. I don't make hypotheses. Um, because you know there are a lot of smarter people out there who can make a great hypothesis. So I'm not I'm not a biologist at all. So I don't make hypotheses. So uh, but I generate data, and data can be analyzed and cooked in a you know in a combining different domains, so that we can um, sort of make serendipitous discoveries, the kind of discovery that uh, other people. Did not expect right? even smarter people. Cool. I think mean, that's great. And so, maybe to tie it all together, you know, you've, you've been you're a physicist, get into biology, you've invented all these tools. You know, if you had to step back 
yep. and say, look about your career, look about what the of others have done. What do you see as the big long-term opportunities in genomics imaging, maybe even beyond just biotech, biology in general? Mm -hmm. you know, we definitely live in a golden age from a technical perspective, right? There's new tools on sequencing, imaging, gene editing. You know, it's like, it's, it's amazing. Each week there's a new great paper out. And so sure. what do you see in the next few decades? Kind of where do you see biology going? Do you, do you think there's some substantial, like, yeah, like what, what, what excites you? Um, sure. Yeah. I think, I think each technology is quite mature now, like se sequencing technology or imaging technology or flow sequencing technology and many other technologies are quite mature. Uh, but uh, combination of these technologies to uh, develop or to extract new um, domains of information is challenging. And also interpreting these this kind of data on the different scales of space and time, like millisecond to say hour or uh, micrometer to kilometer, you know, combining all those different uh, uh, like the scales, different scales of space and time is quite challenging. And, and, and the interpretation of those, that kind of information will probably lead to some unexpected discoveries. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So, like maybe trying to figure out how to translate all the different data sets you're producing into yeah. kind of something common, and then you might be able to like discover serendipitous things. I think it's really exciting. Uh, yeah. Maybe to like kind of finalize things, you know, you've also, with the incredible research you've done, mm -hmm. you've increasingly got involved in spin outs. Yeah. Um, and, you know, becoming an entrepreneur as well. How's that experience been? I mean, I know you're really early in the end and this, you have another decade to go. Mm -hmm. But what got you interested in starting companies? And sure. you know, and can maybe discuss some of the companies and your experiences so far. Sure. Uh, so I I want to make sure that the technology is actually being used by people. So yeah. uh, so not just publishing papers. <laughs> uh, so you know. People, you know, science, other scientists and other res medical researchers or medical doctors, uh, they uh, take advantage of the te new technology and do something innovative or, you know, that cure diseases and save patients. That that's that's important. So, uh, so you know, trans translational science or translational medicine is sort of my. Uh, a secondary goal as well because it's, it's kind of important. And then after the transition is done, then I come back to basic science and then start to work on something new. What's yeah. been like the when you you know like what's been like has it been um, when you start off on that journey of start companies? Yeah, you know you, we talk about languages, right? Translating the language of the cell and DNA or something, sequencing yeah. and microscopy. You know, <laughs> has it been more challenging this, uh, to to translate the language of science and business? Yeah. <laughs> How did you learn the language of business? <laughs> you know, all just, these different, uh... <laughs> you know, small things. Has it been difficult? And how did you, how did you, I think a lot of scientists in your position, they have an invention and they're trying to learn business. Yeah, yeah. And what, what kind of were your tactics to get kind of empowered and, and learn a bit more about startups and stuff? I don't think there's a secret. They just, I just make uh, friends with business people and also make friends with medical doctors and and also read magazines and newspapers. 
that, that's what I do. Yeah, that, on a daily basis. Yeah. Okay, I think it's a great way to end it. Just make friends. I think I'm, yeah. I'm a true believer in making friends because it makes. I think I think the whole lesson of your story is right. Like mm -hmm. you, you had a blueprint. You made a lot of friends, mm -hmm. and you know, you all worked well together, and you made some incredible the machines. Sure. And I think the next decade, I, I, I kind of know you're gonna do some really incredible work. And I think I'm excited to read up your research as it comes out. Right. Uh, but I know you're really busy. You have a hard stop, and so uh, it's a great ha having this conversation. I uh, really appreciate it, and we'll do this a few years from now. We'll do an update because I'm sure, right. like, you have a lot more to talk about. Um, right. But Kisuke, I really appreciate it. This is this has been really awesome. Thank you very much.